This is Market Pathways, your premium guide to global medical device regulation, reimbursement, and policy. Become a part of the global medtech community at mystrategist.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm David Fillmore, uh, executive editor of Market Pathways. I wanted to give you a heads up on this episode before we got started. Uh, this is a first of a two-parter. So my colleague Steve Levin and I had a conversation recently about what we expect in the global medtech regulatory reimbursement and policy realm for 2022. Uh, tune into the next episode in a couple of weeks to hear what we have to say about Europe and Asia in that regard. Uh, but today's episode, we focus specifically on the U.S. policy picture in Congress, FDA and CMS. So here's that conversation. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Market Pathways podcast. I'm uh, David Fillmore, executive editor of Market Pathways, and I'm here with my fearless leader, our editor-in-chief, Steve Levin. Steve, how are you? Good, Dave. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. It's good to be talking, Steve. You know, we don't always get to do this. Uh, you know, we're going to do something a little bit different uh, on this episode of the podcast. Uh, typically, we talk to leaders, experts in the medtech community about important, you know, regulatory reimbursement policy issues impacting industry. Um, but today, you know, you and I, Steve and I are going to chat, uh, so we could spotlight what we see as some of the most important, um, kind of events or in things to watch out for in the coming year in that sort of med tech policy space. Um, you know, and this will be based on our reporting, you know, Steve and I are doing and others are with market pathways. So, you know, you can kind of read more about anything we talk about, um, today on mystrategist.com. Uh, but you know, let's try to get to this, Steve. I mean, I think the best, you know, Thinking about medtech, it's kind of a global operation, obviously the medtech industry, and our coverage is regulatory policies, obviously very global um, and reimbursement and the like. So I thought maybe we could, you know, just do it uh, by geography, you know, kind of split this conversation to tackle in pieces uh, in different parts of the world. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. I think that while medtech is still a U.S. centric industry, the global aspects of it are just uh, you know, increasing every year. And so to focus on the U.S. and then Europe and on Asia as well, I think is kind of the best way as, for us to cover the globe and also reflects the coverage that we provide in Market Pathways. So Dave, let's start with the U.S. Again, uh, seems like a logical place to start because for MedTech, uh, U.S. is really a home base in many ways. And in 2021, COVID issues dominated policy decisions at federal agencies, as well as, uh, I think it's fair to say, distracting from other priorities. And of course, for industry, uh, you know, there was a major barrier um, in one non-COVID-19 priority, which was the Medicare coverage of innovative technology programs. And we're going to refer to that from now on as MSIT. For those of you uh, out there, and MCIT is is the acronym, and MSIT was finalized at the start of the year, only to be repealed before 2021 ended with the change of administration. So, why don't we start, Dave, talking about what is the the kind of the key context for U.S. medtech policy development as we look ahead to 2022? Right. Yeah. Sure, Steve. Yeah, and you're right. Obviously, we've been sort of so COVID. COVID directed in policy, certainly on, you know, the FDA side, it's just been, you know, everything has taken a backseat to sort of policies and emergency policies. And, but, you know, uh, uh, there have been some things to, to watch, uh, particularly 
you know, uh, like you say, you mentioned the MSED and some other things that obviously brewing in terms of other things that have a broader impact on innovation beyond just this pandemic. So I think in 2022, that transition is going to be important out of some of those issues. But so in terms of, you know, key context, I mean, you know, obviously we're talking February 16th, big news out just, just this week, you know, FDA uh, just finally, finally got a confirmed uh, commissioner um, after more than a year, you know, of, uh, of, a not, of having an acting Janet Woodcock in that position. So Robert Califf is, is now, you know, pending a swearing in ceremony, um, uh, the new commissioner of FDA. So that's going to be important. And we could talk more about that. Um, but you know, it, that, that's sort of a key, a key bit to watch in terms of his impact CMS. We can talk a little bit more about in terms of their thinking on med tech evolving under this new Biden administration, um, with, uh, kind of how they look at med tech and evidence, but I wanted to actually dig in first on, on sort of what to look for in Congress, because Congress, I think in 2022 is going to be a key venue, um, for, you know, what to look out for, because, you know, typically a lot of talking happening in Congress, a lot of debates, not always uh, a lot of action, particularly, you know, you're not always looking for very important day-to-day substance for med tech policy out of Congress. You know, it's, it's these big, big issues that don't always filter down. Uh, but 2022 is going to be an important year for things that are more substantive because it is um, a user fee year, essentially. You know, every five years, the FDA user fee program needs to be reauthorized. And that user fee program kind of underlies some key funding for FDA and key commitments and policies and sort of how they go about their business for the next five years. So that's all going to be defined in this so-called, you know, Bidufa 5 upcoming package. The current program expires September 30th. Um, and that means by then, uh, you know, unless uh, something really unusual happens, Congress is going to pass a bill that includes that, you know, reauthorization for devices, for drugs, for biologics. And that's really important for FDA. And it, and it could be, you know, even beyond just that, you know, it's an important thing to watch because it's a vehicle. It's a must-pass legislation that has a specific date associated with it. So then you got lawmakers, you got advocates looking at as a target to make their own reforms, um, other reforms, other big things related to FDA. So you have some things on the table, like you could have comprehensive diagnostics reform. You know, there are people, there's been a debate for years and something called the Valid Act, which would really just completely change how FDA regulates diagnostics. And that's, you know, type of thing that seems like a, you know, a big, a big lift, but it's been in the day, in the queue. And now we have this legislation, you know, potentially could go through. You mentioned MSET, which we could talk more about in a little bit, but you know, that's also something, you know, Congress is talking about, uh, you know, as you said, CMS repealed that before it even got started, this automatic coverage pathway for breakthrough devices. But, you know, 2022, look out for Congress, see what happens in, you know, the potential for that to get to get pulled along by this user-free process. Um, and so, you know, and, and that's, you know, combined with so much momentum around, you know, pandemic and like reforms to improve our response to the pandemic. Um, there's this Cures 2.0 legislation, which is a lot of reimbursement and FDA stuff that um, sort of is the sequel to the very popular, you know, 21st Century Cures Act from 2016. So there's just so much momentum in Congress this year for getting things done that are related to med tech. So, you know, if you're going to pay attention to Capitol Health med tech policy any year, 2022 is the time to do it. Um, and now we just need to wait, of course, for Congress to actually receive a user fee agreement from FDA and industry so they could, you know, start on this work. So that's kind of where we are now, I would say. Well, one thing uh, for those who've been following Medufa and hopefully people have been through the coverage and market pathways is you've detailed the delays that have taken place uh, in, in this process. Now, not all unexpected. Some of these delays have uh, uh, occurred previously. Um, talk a little bit about kind of 
where things stand, what are the next steps and implications of, uh, of the delays that we've seen on the Medufa five talks and, and what the prospects are, uh, you know, for the rest of this year, given, as you said, there is this September deadline. Right, right. So it's been a tough go um, for for those, you know, like I said, this is a process that happens every five years. And, you know, it's sometimes it's easier than other times in terms of, you know, how it happens is FDA and industry are put into a room to come up with a deal. And that really forms the core of what, you know, Congress doesn't typically change what they put together. Uh, just what they put together is kind of a core package that uh, includes, um, you know, user fee um, amount that industry has to pay and the policies that FDA commits to in terms of how quickly they're going to review applications, guidance documents, other programs, transparency. So, it, it, you know, that, that, that is what they've been talking about. And they've been talking about that in, in a sort of closed door negotiations for the past more than a year. And it's been clear from the start that they're sort of not in the same, you know, starting from the same positions and they're kind of far apart um, and they remain far apart. I mean, as of, um, you know, uh, before Thanksgiving until over the holidays, until the new year, you know, they really had a complete stall of, of not meeting at all. Um, and now I think it, it seems as if they've started to pick up talks again, but they're already, you know, a month past uh, the January 15th deadline when they were supposed to sort of send their agreement officially to Congress. So then they could pick it up, as I was saying, and actually make this legislation I was talking about, the reauthorization. But they're a month past that. Um, it's not clear, you know, last time I was, I've gotten reporting from it, which I've, you know, been talking to people involved in the negotiations. They were still like a billion dollars apart in how much, you know, industry was willing to pay versus what FDA wanted in terms of uh, user fees. And there's a lot of sort of details around that. Um, so, you know, and once they do put it out, I get a package together. They're still going to have to wait a month to get public comment, have a meeting. So we're, we're looking, you know, it is a delay. Um, and, at, you know, at the end of the day, even with all that, I think it's still, I would anticipate, and I think most people anticipate that there will be an agreement. You know, they're going to do it. It's a high, they, nobody wants there to be no agreement. Um, and it's just a matter of the timing. And, you know, technically they do have, as I said, till September 30th, Congress has until September 30th. So, you know, it, it is enough time. It still is enough time at this point. If we're talking another month, two months, we still haven't gotten anything out public, then I'm start, starting to get worried. Um, so, you know, there's going to be something likely it's just more a matter of, okay, now what happens? You know, there's going to be a shortened amount of time. Our Congress already has the drug, the biologic, the generics deals. They're already had a hearing on those. Devices are missing in action. So it's just a matter of, does this feel rushed? Does that make it less likely that they, let's say, add on, you know, I mentioned this possibility of adding on these bigger reforms, some which people see as a big priority, things like the diagnostics reform or the MSET, uh, which is a high priority for industry. You know, is it less likely you get these add-ons because there's just less time and less ability to legislate in the amount of time they have. Um, and also, I think FDA has complained a little bit about they don't have an agreement. Usually, once they have an agreement, they could start planning. They could start using money they have left over from the current program to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to transition. We can do all these things. But because they don't have the agreement yet, they can't do that. So it's just going gonna, gonna to cause a Russian transition. So you know, it's, it's, it's still a wait and see. It's not like a um, catastrophe, not going to happen sort of situation. But, you know, it's been it's 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 more touch and go than I think people want it to be. And particularly because everything got delayed at the beginning with the pandemic. And so it's just, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a tough go. But it, it, it the impact still remains to be seen. But I still think we're going to get a user PDL at some point. You know, one question I think uh, worth discussing, I know at least what I hear is that, you know, we're going into an off year election cycle. And since we're talking about Congress, 
probably would be remiss if we didn't at least raise that possibility. Now, I think it's fair to say MedTech usually kind of flies a little under the radar. So whereas you see issues like prescription drug pricing showing up, you know, periodically on on the radar screen of, of, of candidates, MedTech usually keeps a little lower profile. But as you said, this is a Madufi year. So any you want to look into your crystal ball and, and see if you think that there'll be any impact uh, as far as either delaying uh, the finalization on, on Madufa or, or any other impact as far as the uh, election year goes. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a good point. It, it, Congress is completely unpredictable. I mean, that's the thing, obviously, even in any year nowadays, because it's just so polarized and so many, you know, don't even have to go into all that. But yes, an election year just makes it that much harder. There's just less time. I mean, there are people are campaigning and et cetera and the politics and all that. So, yeah, I mean, I think from a political standpoint, it it's usually, like you say, med tech and, you know, really innovation policies like, you know, things, drugs too, when it comes to like things to improve cures for diseases and things like that, usually get, even in this crazy times, get bipartisan support and usually, you know, are able to bypass some of those political issues, you know, but I think the issue is more like, yeah, just practicality and time. Like if, time becomes short enough and they don't have enough time to, you know, have that extra hearing or, or, or lawmakers to address certain issues, you know, it could impact the type of legislation that the overall, let's say reauthorization packages, uh, packages includes and like the ability, you know, to, um, you know, do things like I said, on the reimbursement side, MSET, you know, that adds complication. It adds extra hearings because you have a different committee involved. Uh, so the, the more, the more, less time you have combined with the election year. I think it's I think it's that practical stuff on the and less like political getting pulled down. Um, but, you know, there's also a possibility of, you know, uh, there's always a possibility of safety reforms being come up. Uh, you know, do, 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 you know, there's certainly remains, you know, going back a decade, you know, this focus on five 10K reforms and more need for more um, uh, evidence for devices and more, you know, and that that's still out there, too. So, like, you know, that can get mixed in potentially depending on the focus or politics of an individual member of Congress. So. It is, it is unpredictable. I think at the end of the day, there'll be a Madufa package uh, that includes the rest of FDA that probably gets passed by the summer or fall. And I think it's possible it could end up being just that. And all this other stuff that we, you know, could happen may not, they just may not be able to get to. But, but we'll have to see what happens. And, you know, it's just, it's just so unpredictable. Thanks for listening so far. This interview will continue after this short message. Market Pathways is the number one publication that covers the people, challenges, and opportunities impacting the global medical device, regulatory, reimbursement, and policy spheres. MyStrategist.com is your digital home to access all of our coverage and read the latest issue of Market Pathways. Your support is valuable and makes us better. Please remember to leave a review and rate Market Pathways on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen. As long as we're talking about Congress, you know, it's uh, and you mentioned uh, Kalos confirmation, um, and we're recording this February 16th, so this is particularly timely. I think one of the things that I'm hearing from uh, folks in the industry, uh, especially around the, the need for uh, the new FDA commissioner, and, and now that that Kalos been confirmed, although obviously not by a very a wide vote, not by a very wide margin. Um, the concern among 
industry is what's going to happen at CDRH. Now, obviously, that's not a position at the same level as, as the commissioner. Um, but what are you hearing with regard to uh, Jeff Shuren's tenure? Any reason to think that uh, there are going to be changes there? I mean, I think people in the industry really are generally pretty satisfied relations with between industry and, and, and regulators. I would suggest really haven't been uh, been better than they have been over the last decade or much of the last last decade or so. So uh, any word on whether we're going to see a changing of the guard at CDRH? No, no, I don't think there's any any talk about that right now. I mean, of course, you know, <laughs> nothing can be predicted for sure. And who knows about timing in general? But and obviously, yeah, certainly it's been a tough few years for everybody at FDA. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's been a lot of, there's certainly been a lot of turnover in the lower ranks, um, as reviewers have struggled with, uh, with the pandemic and, and all the, the pressure there, but, but no, I mean, I, I don't, I haven't heard anything about Shuren and yet, like, you know, I think like your question suggests, you know, Shuren really does, um, you know, kind of drive, drive, drive matters in terms of device policy at FDA, um, and really is, 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 you know, is a, recognized and, and and supported force within the FDA. And I don't think that's going to change with, with, with Robert Califf coming on board to lead it. He's obviously worked with uh, Jeff before, um, you know, as he's a, he was the commissioner just, just not that long ago uh, in 2016, right. 2017. So, um, and they've worked together and he's uh, got a very, you know, Robert Califf, you know, knows the industry. I mean, the agency, excuse me, uh, very well. And is uh, I think likely to, you know, work hand in hand with, the device center on their current priorities and support, um, you know, what they're doing. I don't expect him to have a major impact on their direction other than, you know, I think the biggest thing commissioner could do is speed up or slow down things that might be happening just based on the overall priorities of what gets out the door overall, you know, but, 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 you know, I think there's an expectation that um, Dr. Califf is, you know, you know, uh, very focused on, um, um, on innovation and, and sort of, you know, interesting ways, creative ways of collecting data, which is something that certainly the device center is already very focused on in terms of things like real world evidence and, and the like. So, um, yeah, no, I don't expect, I mean, I think the bigger changes are going to be much more around, you have this user fee package and that kind of creates a new marching orders. Once that's there, you have obviously just the pandemic, hopefully ending or transitioning away or what, how FDA transitions away from that. That's the big, those are these big macro challenges that they will be doing no matter what that will affect the changes at the agency um, and whether they'll be able to get back to normal and, you know, all that. So, um, but I don't think Shuren, I don't have a sense of Shuren's going anywhere. And I have a sense that that, that uh, commission, new commissioner Califf is going to massively change the direction beyond where it would go uh, otherwise. And I think it's also worth noting that the concerns that people have, or at least the concerns that people express publicly, you never know what is in the, you know, the, the minds of legislators that they don't talk about publicly. The concerns about Dr. Califf were related to uh, relations uh, with the drug industry and, and other issues uh, that have nothing to do with with medtech. So again, supporting your your point that there's really no expectation that uh, that Kale's coming on board with with uh, you know any sense of either from himself or or pressure from from the outside to change things at CDRH. No, yeah, no, I agree, and I think I think it'll be interesting to uh, 
I mean, certainly interesting to, to, to just to watch and see, you know, the, the, the subtle, this, this stuff and how he takes control because it, it's going to be an interesting time at FDA, but I think more just because like I said, these bigger, bigger issues, like a, like a pandemic transition and all that, uh, right. much bigger let's, factors. Let's circle back to Emson. You, you raised that. And I think that's going to, you know, be a key issue. Uh, I mean, industry, uh, you know, the, the advantage that is that, that it favors in the, in terms of the, uh, advantages it provides for, for patients, uh, uh, particularly again, Medicare population getting access to, uh, innovative technologies, the way also the advantages it provides to just drive innovation. So there seems to be a lot, a lot going for it, but it, it's gone through a, a, a rather odd, pathways so far, what do you think the next steps are and the prospects that Congress will actually enact MCID into law? Yeah, well, I mean, well, certainly whether whether Congress enacts it into law is definitely a big open question. I wouldn't want to put that, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to say that, that, that that's likely or not likely. It's kind of a, a, we'll have to see. I mean, I think, so just the background on MCID, I mean, you know, obviously Medicare coverage, innovative technology, it was a, four, you know, sort of something that you know, just came out not that long ago as an official proposed rule, you know, in, 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 in uh, 2020, um, you know, to sort of automatic coverage pathway for FDA designated breakthrough devices, kind of four years of automatic coverage, just you get approved, you get your coverage, which is, you know, a new, a new way of, you know, not something that has been the case for devices in the past. Um, and, you know, it was put out in the prior administration and, uh, you know, and, and then as we, you know, we kind of alluded to already, you know, was finalized just at the end of it. And then, uh, you know, over this past year with the under the Biden administration has just been sort of reversed completely before it became an actual active policy. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, CMS is working on, you know, maybe some alternatives, maybe some MSET light sort of stuff, which we talk about. But I think uh, on the congressional side, you know, there has been a lot of support both on, you know, certainly on the Republican and Democratic side, some comments on both sides. For this policy, um, in the in the kind of in the in the direction of supporting innovation and you know su- supporting access to new technologies for Medicare patients, and the idea of like after four years, you know, you'd have to hopefully have collected the evidence you need to um, to sort of stay on stay in the coverage uh, for those for for those devices. So I think that there is um, you know absolute reason to consider it a possibility that it goes through Congress this year. It's certainly. You know, the, the, the proposal that's been put through Congress is actually even an enhanced version of what CMS would have had, because it also includes not only, I mean, it includes all FDA breakthrough devices, including sort of certain types of digital health devices that wouldn't have been able to work well with the CMS plan because they don't have a benefit category, but CMS has some end provisions around that. So it's out there. It's in the Cures 2.0 legislation. It's in separate legislation. It has this potential Medufa catalyst. So I'd put it as a real possibility, but like we talked about before, you know, unpredictability of Congress, the election year, um, you know, fiscal stuff, there's always going to be exactly how much is this going to cost on paper, you know, um, and also just jurisdictional complications. I'm going to put it at more of a 50-50 in my prediction, you know, I wouldn't want to over put overconfidence about that, uh, but it's something that has real potential um, to go, go, through, go through Congress, I would say. Well, we've been talking a lot about Congress, and I certainly don't want to shortchange <laughs> the other branches, right? I mean, FDA has gone through a, a, a rough year. I mean, obviously, as has everyone uh, with the pandemic. And I think one of the big questions on the minds of of everybody listening to this is, what steps can they expect the agency to take 
going forward to return to some degree of normalcy. And nobody's saying that we're going to flip a switch and suddenly, you know, COVID's going to disappear. Um, but everybody in, in all sectors of the economy and in all sectors of our personal lives, we're all in the process of, of trying to return to some degree of what used to be the status quo. So I think, you know, there's the same question of what can we expect um, at the at the FDA? So things like review backlog. I mean, you alluded to the fact that there have been, uh, you know, significant losses and, and changes, you know, at the agency in terms of the time that's, uh, you know, the process that has taken. So what do you think we can expect in terms of um, to address that backlog, whether it's in terms of performance goals, whether it's uh, affects things like, you know, uh, pre-submission meetings. That's obviously something that the, the industry really values. Is that something that is going to get kind of limited? Uh, and, and, you know, just as you look at kind of staff challenges in this kind of transition plan, what what do you think the agency is going to look like uh, in terms of working with device sector over the next year? Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, one one factor is obviously something not in anybody's control. And that's, of course, where the, you know, where the pandemic goes, if we're, you know, in a positive direction, like it, you know, feels like now that that'll, that, that will uh, be helpful. If it, if things, uh, the new variant crops up uh, suddenly, uh, you know, that's going to, that causes uh, FDA and others to have to backtrack and really refocus, then that's going to, you know, change up any comments that one would make now, but um, you know, in terms of preparation, but yeah, I mean, there's no question, you know, FDA has, you know, they've acknowledged, you know, they, they are, there is some performance goals under the current user fee program to do for four that they have, they have slid a little bit and they're, you know, not quite going to meet in some cases when it comes to sort of uh 510k or other reviews. Um, and, you know, the bigger thing is just, you know, that that's been obvious is to see, you know, there's obviously a backlog of reviews that just, whether or not they've met the goals or not met the goals, it's just a, you know, a backlog of, of submissions that, you know, haven't come through. FDA has gotten a lot of devices through, nonetheless, non-COVID stuff. It's 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 been kind of you know, uh, don't want to overstate it, but but you know, there's certainly been an impact. They've obviously had to put a lot of eggs in the basket of, of reviewing, you know, emergency use authorizations and other these enforcement discretions for for COVID. But over the past you know number of months, they've definitely been transitioning back. I think a lot of the divisions and offices within uh, CDRH um, are you know, I don't want to say back to normal, but people that were having to be on their op, their emergency, you know, kind of shifted to a different totally products just because they had to attend to those emergencies are back to their normal jobs. Um, and, you know, they are in many of those offices doing pre-submissions when they weren't before, you know, before FDA was really, you know, for a little while there, they weren't really able to do many of those um, actual have pre-submission meetings, which are a way to get, you know, that input before you, you know, before you do trials, before you do submission about what, what to expect. But now, you know, they are in a lot of cases, maybe just a little bit longer than typical they're taking, but not too much longer. The big, big, big exception here is the is the um, diagnostics office, which is still, you know, the most challenged office because of all the um, COVID diagnostics and having to deal with the Omicron variant and are these tests, you know, responding to it. So there's a lot, you know, they are in a positive trend. They've they've been adding periodically back these activities like pre-submissions, like attacking the backlog that they weren't able to do before. Um, they are. They do have. They recently put out two draft guidances that are basically transition guidances in terms of, okay, there's all these emergency use authorizations out there. There's all these enforcement discretions out there. How are we gonna? 
what are we going to do once this emergency is technically over? Are these just going to go away and those companies have to take those products on the market or they're not going to be compliant anymore? Or, you know, is there sort of a transition plan, which is what they put in this draft guidance? Um, so that's going to be another area, but that is going to be a challenge because it's going to be, well, there is going to be some time period in which a, t- a company wants to keep their test out there. That's for COVID out there. And they're going to have to get an actual 510K or something. And that FDA is going to have to review that 510K in addition to the 510K that relates to some surgical procedure that's unrelated. So there's all these extra stuff that's going to be coming for the next few years. So it's going to be a slow transition back. I think, you know, some of it will depend on what happens with this user fee deal. What type of resources do they get? Do they get enough? to do what they need to do um, and budget from Congress, not just user fees. And, you know, uh, just their staffing levels, their, you know, ability to deal with just basic stuff like more people working remote for the extended period. And does that impact the efficiency of reviews? There's so many factors. I think they're, they're very focused on it and they have been showing improvements back to normal as the, at various times when the, when the virus has sort of, um, you know, gone down a bit, they've been able to show some improvements back. So I, but it's really going to be, this is going to be a major priority. This is Caliph. I mean, new commissioner Caliph, this is going to be probably one of his top focuses is figuring this out, not just for devices, but for the FDA at large. The other big area that I think we should touch on is CMS. And, you know, I, I think if, if we were talking, maybe having this conversation five, six years ago, and you were to identify what the biggest challenge for device companies is in terms of the government, people will be talking about regulatory concerns with the FDA. The consensus, I, I think, and tell me if, if you share this view, seems to be that things have really improved, as I alluded to in the beginning, uh, improved in terms of the relations between FDA and industry, things like transparency, accountability, time frame. And again, this is generally pre-COVID. As you said, there's a lot of caveats in light of the pandemic. Um, and today, I would suggest the really the number one problem facing device companies is reimbursement. And the obviously uh, that puts CMS squarely into you know, the, the, the bullseye in terms of, you know, the agency with which companies uh, are having the biggest challenges. So let's kind of shift gears, talk a little bit um, about CMS. We alluded to MSIT, but MSIT really only addresses a small portion of, uh, of the device community and, and, and of the patient community. So let's talk about what's your view of what may happen over the next year, under the Biden administration at, at CMS, um, you know, CMS historically has been a little bit harder for industry to develop relationships. Some people would refer to it as a bit of a black hole. Um, it seems like there are signs that the that that CMS is is kind of trying to change that pattern. They've adopted things like the, the Navigator program. Um, and uh, uh, trying to, I think, reach out, but they're they're still very under resourced. But what what do you think we can expect going ahead this year from CMS? Yeah, no, it's a good question because obviously, yeah, I agree with you that MSIT has, has been a lot of focus on the reimbursement side, but it really, at the end of the day, it only impacts you know a pretty small proportion of overall devices in terms of those FDA breakthrough devices that are approved. And 
you know, it's more of a, it is an important signal though to, to investors, but um, in terms of that being around, but um, you know, for CMS generally, I think, I think it'll be really interesting to watch 2022. I think it's gonna be really interesting to just kind of see where CMS is at mindset kind of get a more solid sense of that. Because I mean, obviously, you know, during the Trump administration, one thing that, you know, he certainly did see a pretty big uh, focus on sort of med tech innovation as a sort of top level priority, you know, with proposals like MSIP, but also, you know, they, that's when they added like other, uh, you know, more streamlined new technology inpatient add-on payments or bonus payments for breakthrough devices. They had other sort of, like, as you mentioned, the Navigator program, which is something that they created more organizationally, where there's a, a new office and new sort of helpers, navigators, as they're calling to help uh, innovators, med tech, or maybe in some cases, drug innovators, you know, kind of jump through these sort of historically siloed, you know, coverage coding payment steps for reimbursement and actually handholding and helping them through the complications there. So those are all things that were created, you know, the prior four years. And it's a little unclear, like, you know, is that going to be where that emphasis will lie over the next four years? Obviously, with the repeal of MSIT, that is a, you know, kind of shows like maybe there's definitely more caution about putting access to innovation forward as opposed to assurances of evidence and knowing where that evidence is coming from and having a good sense of evidence in the Medicare beneficiary population. That seems to be where the biggest caution came from in that repeal from CMS that happened. And um, that is, you know, kind of could lend itself to other areas. Like, are they still doing this navigator program that we talked about? It's not very clear. It's, it was a pilot program. I've been, you know, trying to get information from parties on that is not so easy. Are they still, you know, kind of putting those types of uh, priorities forward for med tech versus other, you know, other things. CMS has a lot of things going on at once. It's a very, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an agency that does a lot with not tons of money. So where are they putting that, those priorities? Um, And also I think a big area. So, you know, I think maybe we'll get some information on that in 2022 in terms of how they approach that stuff more broadly. And uh, also within the context of digital health, because you know, reimbursement for digital health is an area that's, you know, kind of on the forefront, a little bit unclear. They're not the same as your typical medical device. A lot of times there's not, they don't fit the typical, as I alluded to before, benefit categories, um, things like artificial intelligence. How does that work? It kind of changes the dynamic of care and how that fits into how what you're valuing certain interactions. Um, so CMS has been really kind of working through those issues for the past few years. And it's possible there could be some policy, incremental policy developments in that area that I think could give us a sense of like, how much are they looking at that innovation of importance of, of reimbursing for some of these new approaches to healthcare based on technology versus other things. So it's like kind of just a lot of open questions that I think are there about what the current CMS leadership under this administration, kind of how they see medtech innovation in the context of everything else um, in terms of healthcare and payment and value and beneficiaries and all that. So it'll be, it's going to be, I think the next 2022 and 2023 to really get a real sense of where CMS is at with that stuff. Thanks for listening, guys. Tune into the next episode to hear Steve and I hit on key 2022 challenges and considerations in Europe and Asia and the tech regulations. Uh, in the meantime, head to mystrategist.com where Market Pathways has in-depth articles and data addressing the global policy environment. And have a great week. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Your support is valuable and makes us better. Please remember to leave a review and rate Market Pathways on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen.